When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am Josh Dooley, and with me, as always, he is the the big boy to my Andre 3000. He is the one, the only, Chuck Holmes. Chuck, what's up, my brother? How are you feeling? And honestly, how excited are you about the now-confirmed relationship between Taylor Swift and and Travis Kelsey, the world needs to know. Before I get to that disaster, I, I just want to say I'm me being big boy is amazing. Uh, obviously, you and I are both huge Outcast fans, and maybe one of my favorite uh, gifts to send is the or is the big boy. I know that ain't who I think it is. It's by far my favorite gift to send. I'm glad that that was what you came up with. I could not be less enthused about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. I actually like Taylor Swift more than Travis Kelsey at this point because of the being a Bengals fan and the Chiefs stuff. I used to like the Chiefs. I used to respect what they were doing. Now they just don't shut up. And I don't, I don't want to listen to him. I don't want to see Kelsey. I can't stand seeing reels of him and his brothers. Stupid podcast. My <laughs> wife watches watches it. She loves that stuff. Um, she's done some work with him in the past, so she really likes the guy. I screw that. I'm out. I hope. Uh, I I hope she makes a billion dollars off of her break their breakup album because you know it's going to be a banger. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that strong of a response, but I'm glad that's the one you gave because like you, I'm sick of it. We can move on. We checked that off the list. Although, I, I would just mention that there is a really funny, odd, just nonsensical Illuminati drug company COVID sort of conspiracy going on. If you're listening, I would encourage you to go check that out just for shits and gigs. But, um, you know, Chuck and I are recording this episode on Tuesday evening, our usual go-to, even though Ohio State does not have a game this weekend. So just in the event that you needed a reminder, this is it. Go plan something with your family. Go to the zoo. Go to a museum. Maybe grab a nice brunch. Just do something to get them off your back 
for the next month or two. This is your week to do it. Obviously, since Chuck and I will not be previewing an OSU game this week, we wanted to come up with some other stuff that we wanted to sort of get into and discuss. So the plan here is to relive a bit of history, hand out grades for the season thus far, hype up a few under-the-radar players, and hopefully uh, entertain all of you guys for about an hour or so. Although... We usually go long because Chuck just loves the sound of his own voice. Anywho, partner. I hate you. <laughs> I want to start things off by going back in time. All right. So this past Saturday night, Ohio State pulls off the stunner at the buzzer. A fourth and one run of all things wins their game against Notre Dame with virtually no time left on the clock. Plenty of... I'll say intestinal fortitude showed by Kyle McCord and Ryan Day. Not a perfect performance by any means, but a memorable one. So I pitched the idea of you and I coming up with our five most memorable regular season games involving the Ohio State Buckeyes. Regular season, very important. We don't get 85 yards through the heart of the South. We don't get either of the national championship games. This is regular season games involving our team. And we don't have to do a play-by-play or a quarter-by-quarter breakdown. I didn't even rank mine in all transparency. But I wanted to do this because, spoiler alert, the game against Notre Dame instantly became a top five regular season game for me. And... You know, we may or may not have some crossover. I assume that we will, but that's okay. I'll let you choose. Do you want to bat lead off or clean up with your list? I want to lead off. I, I, I'm Matt Hasselback. I want the ball and I'm going to win. All right. And that'll work because I, I figure if we have any crossover, I will just cross that off of my list. But you're up. So rank them or not, whatever you want to do. Let's start talking about your. Five most memorable regular season games. This Notre Dame game isn't even the most memorable for me personally. Uh, For me, it's 1995. And it's Eddie George, 207 yards, two touchdowns, 45 to 26 over Notre Dame. Uh, For those who don't remember, like it was a big deal that these two teams were playing. It had been a while. Uh, It was... I'm going to be completely honest, going into this game, I might have even leaned towards being a bigger Notre Dame fan. I think that was more just because I wanted my dad to hate me because he was a (laughs) Buckeyes fan. He does. I know him. He he hates you plenty. (laughs) It it, it was long before that and more after. But I, by the end of this game, I, I, I completely gave away my Notre Dame fandom. I was all in on the Buckeyes and Eddie George uh, just running rough shot and starting really this started the Heisman campaign because nobody starting this season thought Eddie George had a chance to be a Heisman contender, let alone win the damn award. So this was just kind of the beginning of his sprint into history. And I vaguely remember this game just to date both of us a little bit. I mean, I was definitely watching Ohio State football at the time. I was old enough to know this guy, that guy. But I don't remember, was this a Bobby Hoying quarterback team? 
1995. Yes, I believe so. Hold on. I'll, I'll let you stall and confirm for a minute. But yeah, that was... I don't know if that was his coming out party. But I think that when others think about Eddie George and his name comes up, the Notre Dame game is something that, that people remember because the pageantry, the tradition of the two teams, and to your point, it was a big, big deal. Even after this past Saturday, they've played, what, eight times, I think? And so, yeah, that's a good one. I would not have picked that one out myself. I was just a little too young, and I'm not dating you. Like, Chuck wasn't in his 20s at this time, um, but he's a couple years older than me, so he remembers it a little bit better, but that's a good one. I like that. Uh, Bobby Hoying, senior year, uh, 29 touchdowns, breaking his own school record of 19. Prior to 1995, the record for touchdown passes at Ohio State was 19. That's kind of crazy. So, like, three games for Michael Penix or Caleb Williams? Or C.J. Stroud. Like, yeah, he, broke yeah. that, he, he broke that four games into his first season starting. Before we move on, though, Bobby Hoying, very underrated quarterback for his time. That was a good season. I do vaguely remember that. I actually wrote about it for... Yeah, played a, played a long time in the NFL. Enough, right? He's got some good paychecks. So what is your second top five regular season game? Mine, uh, 2006, 24-7, Ohio State over Texas. This was the biggest game of that season. They had come off of Vince Young coming into Ohio Stadium the previous year, smacking them in the mouth and beating them. This same thing, this kind of started Troy Smith's Heisman campaign. He didn't have the greatest game, but they went in and they handled business. And it was uh, it was him. It was Pittman, Antonio Gonzalez, or Ant Antonio Anthony Gonzalez had a huge game. The defense, uh, seven points. Colt McCoy didn't know what the hell hit him. Uh, they knew what they had in him, but he wasn't the Colt McCoy that he would end up being. They handled business and ran to the national championship game after it. Another good one. I thought about this one, and. You said it was the biggest game of the year. It was at that time. Just a little bit of a foreshadowing for my list, or maybe you have it too. I wouldn't be shocked, but I miss those games, man. I really do. The out-of-conference, blue-blood sort of showdowns. and Notre Dame-Ohio State was one, right? And we had Oregon recently. But I remember Texas. I remember when Oklahoma came here, even though Baker Mayfield planted the stupid flag at midfield. That was the highlight of his life. Good for him. So I'd like to see more of those. Unfortunately, I think they go by the wayside once the playoff expands. Or, I don't know, I guess we could see the opposite. Maybe teams schedule, they'll have more conference games. So maybe that means the Sisters of the Poor, the, the children of the blind, and then a, a huge non-con opponent. I don't know. We shall see. But I, I like that game. That was a good one. And Colt McCoy, another baller for his time. And you want to talk about a guy who's had a long NFL career. 
as just a backup or a guy. I mean, he's in <laughs> seems like he's in year 15 right now, so good for him. You wouldn't have noticed it by the way he played that game, but yeah, good for him. Uh, next one, you brought him up. Uh, Ohio State, Oklahoma went down to Norman and handled business 45 to 24. Uh, speaking of somebody who's still in the league, obviously he's a little younger. Baker threw two picks in that game. It would have been worse if the referees actually noticed that Joe Mixon fumbled the ball on his kickoff return two yards before he hit the end zone. Uh, that's another touchdown that shouldn't have happened. Uh, Noah Brown is still in the NFL off of this game. Four touchdowns. You thought this was his coming out party, but uh, it turned out he just had an okay rest of the year. Still got drafted. Still collected paychecks. Good for him. Uh, Ho-hum game but from JT Barrett, but the running game, 300 yards. They just went down there and bashed Oklahoma's face in for four quarters. I remember this game because of the names. Right, You had Baker Mayfield against JT Barrett. Ohio State, I mean, Mike Weber had great numbers. He went for 123 in this game. But when you look at the two teams, he's not the name, at least now. Curtis Samley went for nearly 100. Then on the other side, it was Mixon, Samaji Pirine, um, Mark Andrews. I almost forgot that he was at Oklahoma. And you're right about Noah Brown. He had the four touchdowns, one of the most incredible wide receiver performances we had ever seen at Ohio State to that point. I think it's been surpassed a number of times since then. Maybe not the touchdowns, but just how big of a game he had. And yeah, like that was supposed to be supposed to be his coming out party. He definitely petered off or petered out and then he still declared for the draft. And to his credit, yes, he's still in the league. I do wonder, though, had he stuck around, because his second half of the year was certainly nothing to write home about. I wonder if he had stuck around and developed a little bit more, if he could have gotten his name into like that second, third round conversation, whatever it is as far as a draft pick goes. But he's he's doing his thing. He's catching balls, or was catching balls from Noah from C.J. Stroud. I think he's banged up right now. But that was a good one to bring up. We're going to go a little older on these next two. Washington State, Ohio State, 2002. Do you remember how good Washington State was that year? Preseason. Was it a leaf year? No, it was the year after, I believe. Uh, Jason Gesser, maybe two years. Uh, Gesser was there. He was a Heisman candidate because it was they were running the throwing the ball all over the place. They were a top 10 team coming into Ohio State. That was a, a really weird start to the year. Ohio State had a 13th game because of the game with Texas Tech was like a kickoff classic or whatever. And so they were going to have to, they were starting back to back with Power Five games, non conference. And that was kind of, even back then, was unheard of. So after beating Texas Tech, they've got Washington State that comes in and uh, ho hum, Maurice Claret, 11 carries for 36 yards in the first half. And he finished with over 200 yards, two touchdowns. And they ran, the defense just dominated 25 to seven. It was Claret. I know he had kind of had a coming out party against Texas Tech, but this was really like 
what what do we what do we have here with this true freshman that seems to just run over literally everybody that stands in his way? I do remember some of it now. I remember Claret's superhuman second half. The fact that I guessed or I asked if it was a Ryan Leaf here, that's borderline embarrassing. I'll own that hand up on me. But I don't remember a ton else about the game. You're sort of refreshing my memory a little bit, but all I remember is that Claret second half. But I'm looking at it now. Washington State was ranked 10th at the time. That's just bananas. That's really all I've got on that game. I think a point to you on that one for pulling one out of the Wayback Machine and one that's certainly a bit under the radar. So good job by you. This one's even a little, it's this the previous year. So 2001, uh, Ohio State, Michigan, 26 to 20. Nobody would have anticipated anything like this going into this game. This was the, uh, we're going to make you really proud in Ann Arbor, Michigan game. And, and, and Coach Jim Trestle the, came through. Michigan was 10th in the country. Ohio State was unranked. And they went in there and just found it the rock all day. Uh, Jonathan Wells went crazy. You would have thought Jonathan Wells was good. It was, was Beanie Heisman Wells. Movie. was Beanie yeah, Wells. <laughs> it, it was unbelievable, the game he had. And they just went up there, played trestle ball, controlled the clock, controlled field position, and beat a much better team and set the tone for the next two decades, essentially, for how this rivalry was going to go. This is where Trestle sort of made it known that this is how serious he was going to take it. He talked it up all year, and yeah, Michigan was a solid team that year. Ohio State was nothing to write, write home about. And, you know, maybe they worked towards this game a little too much because I think they won, they won seven games. They may have won an eighth that year. But, yeah, I remember Jonathan Wells preceded Beanie Wells. Craig Krenzel was taking snaps. John Navarre, the infamous John Navarre at Michigan. We know how his career went. Bunch of losses, finally came through with one or was about to come through with one. And, yeah, it was not aesthetically pleasing from what I remember. I I think that Navarre attempted nearly 50 passes, if I'm not mistaken, like which was sort of strange for them. And Ohio State sort of did the opposite. Krenzel was probably in the 15 to 20 range because not only did Ohio State have Jonathan Wells, they had... Lydell Ross, and I'm pulling the numbers up now. I know that his stats sucked, but he was there. He was available for 16 totes that led to nothing. So probably not a game that is going to be talked about forever and ever and ever. They're not going to hang pictures of it in the Louvre, but sort of the beginning of something for sure with Jim Trestle and his run at Ohio State. And this is the most Trestle uh, line ever. If you look at the like the drive summary. So Ohio State actually jumped out to a 23 to nothing lead. And that's why Navarre had to throw it so much. So after they got the 23 to nothing lead, this is how the rest of the game went for Ohio State's offense. 
pint, 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 blocked pint, pint, field goal, pint, pint. And I forgot the guy's name, but I remembered he had a big one or a big game. Marquise Walker, Ohio State was like, we're not going to guard him. I, he had like almost all of Navarre's pass attempts or he had 15 receptions, probably had 25 targets in that game, 160 out of 206 yards and two touchdowns. So I couldn't have guessed the name if you gave me uh, an hour, a month, a year, whatever. But I guess Ohio State was like, we'll let this guy go off and get off and we're going to shut down everyone else, which is more or less what they did. So is that five for you, Chuck? That's my five. Tell you what, why don't we take a break? Uh, I'm going to shuffle through mine, make sure my list looks good, and then we'll come back and we'll do my five. Sound good? Let's do it. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast for Chuck Holmes. I am Josh Dooley, and we are talking about our top five regular season games that involve our Ohio State Buckeyes. Like I said earlier, we're skipping the postseason, and Chuck went deep into his catalog and gave me a couple games that I certainly... I didn't remember or I wouldn't have without being prompted or reminded. So good on him. I went a little more mainstream, but I just, I loved all these games. I couldn't leave one off the list, even though I wanted to maybe pick a Texas game or an Oklahoma game or something like that. So Chuck, the first one that I have is Holy Buckeye. Right, 2002, Ohio State goes to West Lafayette. They're playing Purdue. They're losing. And this could have, for all intents and purposes, sort of ended their season, ended their championship run that we didn't even think was a championship run at that time. And, you know, lo and behold, it's fourth down, fourth and one, I think. And Craig Krenzel drops back, throws a bomb to Michael Jenkins. He comes down with it. Ohio State wins. Again, not the most beautiful football game ever played. I think 100 pulled out of 100 would agree with that. But, and we didn't know at the time the the circumstances or the repercussions of potentially losing that game. Ohio State pulls it off. I think it'll be remembered forever. Just the name alone, Holy Buckeye. But that was first on my list, and it was a pretty obvious pick for me. It was maybe the worst game I had ever watched up to that point in my <laughs> life until the ball nestled in Michael Jenkins' hands afterwards. And for those that doubted whether Ohio State could beat Miami in the national championship game, this was the game that you point to and say, this is all they got. You can't, you can't compete with that Miami team. What I love about it, and it kind of was what this team was about, is they just didn't give up. Like, it stunk. They didn't play well. The defense did. The offense did not get anything going. And can you imagine having scored three points the entire game and the cojones to be able to throw that pass by Craig Krenzel 
Uh, to this day, uh, I tip my cap to him and his ability to block everything out and just let it fly at the most opportune time. I wasn't thinking about it until you sort of mentioned this. Only three points up to that point and really nothing. Nothing. We wouldn't have predicted that that would have been the play call or that it would have been successful. Sort of reminds me of this past Saturday night. Ohio State had 10 points. Granted, it's it's different but the same, right? This is an explosive offense. They only had 10 points. They sure as shit can't run the ball in short yardage. And Ryan Day calls a run play. Out of the gun, no less. So, <laughs> the circumstances were very, very different. But that just sort of jogged my memory. The second game on my list, again, another obvious pick, I think. 2006, the game of the century, number one versus number two for basically all the marbles, right? Ohio State pulls out a squeaker, 42-39. to 39. You know, Michigan had the last score in this game. In theory, they had a chance to win it if they were able to get the ball back. They were unable to do so. Another pretty solid game from Troy Smith. We know how he did well. We know how he performed throughout this rivalry. Threw for 300-plus yards, four touchdowns. On the other side, Michael Hart ran all over the place. He had like a buck 50 and three touchdowns. Antonio Pittman was good too. He ran for 139, but... Uh, Hart was the better running back in that game. And just a bunch of guys. The names aren't as big as you might think or remember, but Mario Manningham played for a bit in the league. Steve Breston. Adrian Arrington may have even spent some time in the NFL. And then the Buckeyes obviously had Ted Ginn Jr. Brian Rubisky had a cup of coffee. Anthony Gonzalez. Brian Hartline. A young Brian Hartline, if I'm not mistaken. So... This, I mean, it was number one versus number two. I just had to go with this one. If one of us didn't have it on our list, we would have been reprimanded probably by the powers that be. We've spoken in the past about me coming straight off a deployment, straight back to Columbus so that I could see this game. And it was that big of a deal. I, I literally dropped everything and packed up a truck and moved my stuff up here from Cincinnati so I could be in Columbus to be in this game. And I ended up not getting tickets, and why? But I remember watching it on campus, and it was just the most unbelievable. You know, this is this is before forty-two to thirty-nine was a common college football game. So this was this was unbelievable that these two teams could do this. But then when you look at it, and you look at all the talent you talked about, I mean, there are uh, two NFL quarterbacks. I know Troy Smith didn't have as long a career as Henny. Henny just retired. The Jets are <laughs> yeah. trying to get him, the Jets are trying to get him to play this year. Uh, I mean, Hart was in the NFL. I mean, you're talking four or five skill position guys on both sides that played for multiple years in the NFL. Not even to mention the defense of guys that played. And and honestly, the Ohio State defense might have been better. And it didn't matter. Michigan just ran all over them. So this was this was an unbelievable game. For and leading into what we thought was going to be another national title, but uh, wasn't to be. Yeah, I was on campus for this one, obviously a crazy one. The third one that I have, 
I, I don't know. You may or may not remember it the way that I do, but 2017 Ohio State, Penn State, I call this JT Barrett's perfect game because he damn near was. He went 33 for 39 passing, including 13 for 13 and three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. OSU trailed number two Penn State. All right, Penn State was number two. Ohio State trailed 35 to 20 at one point, but Barrett was just surgical in the second half. Urban Meyer could not stop singing his praises. The second half by JT Barrett was, I'm not even kidding, this is not hyperbole, one of the best halves of football that I have ever seen a quarterback play. He was that good, and his play was that important to taking down Penn State. So a bit of a sleeper pick maybe, but give me 2017 JT Barrett's perfect game. Very, very uh, forgotten about this game is you're down two touchdowns and they've got Saquon Barkley and they can't ice the game. 21 carries, 44 yards. And after him starting that game off with a 97-yard touchdown kickoff return, if you had told me that's the line he would have finished with, I would have laughed in your face. I thought this was going to be a long day because of that. And they handled him perfectly. And without that, Barrett doesn't even get a shot because they had dug themselves such a hole. But yeah, 300 yards passing, another 95 rushing. I mean, he carried them. And it was, uh, you would have never, if we had had live betting in Ohio on uh, on our favorite uh, betting app back then, you would have got some good, good odds at the beginning of that fourth quarter uh, saying Ohio State wasn't going to win that game. For sure. My fourth one here, the, the next year, right, 2018, this year was about Michigan. All right, Michigan in 2018, had lost to Notre Dame to begin the season. I think it was their first game of the year, week one. Then they ran the table. They were fourth in the college football playoff rankings at the time going to Columbus. And the way I remembered is Dwayne Haskins has sort of introduced himself to the world the year before. And then in 2018, Michigan was on their revenge tour. You remember the revenge tour? They made t-shirts. They made signs. It was this whole thing. And Ohio State canceled it. Dwayne Haskins went off for six touchdowns when you want to talk about sort of unprecedented at the time. I know we're a little more modern in 2018, but... Dwayne Haskins was playing a video game. He was doing something completely different that we had not really seen before. The Wolverines seemed destined for a college football playoff spot. Ohio State ruined it, and I will always remember that Dwayne Haskins performance and those six touchdowns. I will. The one part that I remember most vividly is this was also the Chris Olave coming out party. Two catches, two touchdowns as a freshman. This kind of cemented him. Also. Maybe you forgot this. Tate Martell, two carries, one yard. He got in the game. That was it. That's all he. That's all he had. But for them to uh, to handle Michigan the way they did this year was kind of this was this was the Urban Meyer way. 
this is how he took this rivalry and um this is not an indictment on ryan day or anything but i i part of me misses how serious him and jim trestle took this rivalry yeah i mean there's definitely something to be said for that it it was also his his personality his gravitas right like he just had a way of firing you up of firing us up and the the thing that i look back on and remember now and we had seen it for 11 games but it still it almost didn't make sense to me because i wasn't sure i'd have to go back and look at the schedule but i sort of remember watching that game and i'm like this game is the most important thing in the universe and to watch Dwayne Haskins pick apart that defense the way... I was like, what What are we doing? What is this? I don't understand how in a game of this magnitude, Dwayne Haskins can go off for 400 yards and six touchdowns. Like It was just like the JT Barrett performance. It was not a half, but one of the most special and memorable quarterback performances that I can think of in the past handful of years for sure it was ridiculous and he was the antithesis of what Shea Patterson was because he was the one that was supposed to be good this this part you're gonna this is gonna make you shake your head uh guess who and you might know this guess who got in as a backup to Shea Patterson and is still playing college football today oh man that's a good one Okay, back up to Shea Patterson. He's still playing. McNamara wasn't around, was he? No, no. Joe Milton. Oh, my goodness. And he is still playing college football. (laughs) That is insane. That, God bless his soul, but think about everything that has transpired since then with Dwayne Haskins. Right, And I don't want people to sort of like focus on the unfortunate ending, but just like think about how long ago it seems that he did that. And Joe Milton is still playing college football. Granted, he's in. That is, I'm done with the whole COVID transferred. Like I'm ready for this to be done. I no longer want 30-year-old men playing college football. I mean, Ohio State has had three quarterbacks drafted. They're on their fourth starting quarterback since Joe Milton entered college. That's truly incredible. I And I thought maybe I got it with McNamara, but he might – I don't think he's nearly as deep in his bag. He was still probably a junior in high school, Joe Milton, already in college. Yeah, but uh, that's wild. So – my fifth one, we don't have to talk about it too much. We've already done an hour plus on it. But I I sincerely mean it when I say that this 2023 game against Notre Dame right now is a top fiver for me, regular season, similar to Holy Buckeye and some of the other games that we've talked about. Not the most aesthetically pleasing game that's ever been played, but I'm a sucker for like real decent defense when it doesn't involve all sorts of turnovers and crappy offenses and stuff like that. So this was sort of a an old-school football game that I really enjoyed. And then obviously the way that it ended with Kyle McCord going 65 and 85 or 65 and 90, something like that, and the run on fourth and one 
I think that I will remember that Notre Dame game or this Notre Dame game for a long, long time. Is there anything uh, you want to share with anybody? Maybe any social media posts that might be floating out there? Nothing? Anything? Nope. I no? did not. I did not overreact uh, in no. front of a camera that my wife may or may not have captured on film. Uh, it didn't happen. So I'm not real sure what you're talking about. Okay. Well, um, anybody that has a TikTok account, I'm sure he's not hard to find. I don't know that she tug, tagged him in it or anything, but if you know what my man looks like, he's I'm not, not hard to find. I'm not, not familiar. I'm not familiar with TikTok. Um, that <laughs> sounds made up. No, but you got me. You got me. I'll let it slide. I'll let it slide. I and I'm going to throw a curveball at you actually now, Chuck, because we're. You know, we're 36 minutes into this. We talked about a lot of games, and I had sort of a a deep, deep cut, but I want to get on to our next topic because I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and we have a third topic that we want to cover, so let's just power through here. Chuck and I did position grades for Ohio State thus far, so we're only four games in, and we went position by position. I, I know personally, I think I got all of them. I didn't do kicker, punter, but I did special teams. So, Chuck, I think it's only fair since you started with your memorable, game, memorable games that I start with position grades. And I'm thinking maybe I just I give you my grade, my rationale for it, and then you agree or disagree. How does that sound? I'm going to disagree, but let's go. All right, so starting with quarterback, the most important and prominent position on the team, it's a B-plus for me right now. And that might seem high given the stats or lack thereof. Kyle McCord, who is now the unquestioned starter, has only, air quotes there, passed for 1,055 yards and six touchdowns in four games. But I am sort of grading him based on preseason expectations and where he is currently at through four starts. He lit up inferior competition, and then against Notre Dame, he really showed me a lot. Guts, moxie, leadership, whatever. He led the Buckeyes on that game-winning drive, and that drive alone, in my opinion, earned him an A or A-plus for the entire game. He clearly has room to grow, but I'm excited about where he's at. And then Devin Brown, incomplete for me. But in totality, I give the Ohio State quarterbacks a B-plus so far. Yeah, you're wrong on this one. I gave him a B-minus simply for for two reasons. One, the fact that Kyle McCord did not win this job outright early just tells you and kind of shows you how he was progressing and it wasn't what, what the coaching staff wanted. Indiana was not great. Uh, Devin Brown in the Youngstown State game was not great, but they're trending in the right direction. And really, in all reality, that's all we care about is you're moving in the right direction. You've won all your games. Keep getting better. And if they if McCord keeps getting better than what he was against Notre Dame, because Notre Dame's a really good team and a really good defense. The sky's the limit for this team. Okay, so we're in the same ballpark. I'm not surprised. You are typically the more pessimistic, negative one. I think everyone knows Get that. Get out of here. So, 
Moving on to running back, another B-plus for me, and I promise they're not all B-pluses. Here's the thing. I think that it could easily be an A-minus or an A if they were used differently. My, my grading of them is really no fault of their own. I want to see Travion Henderson catching passes and running on the outside, and I want Chip Trianum used as the hammer, maybe even Mayan Williams, but can't knock Chip for what he's done. For the most part, those two have been pretty good, and it's also hard to grade them properly when they're running behind this offensive line that just can't figure out run blocking. Like one plus one doesn't equal two for them. I almost want to give the running backs an incomplete, but I'll stick with B plus because I think individually the top two have played well. Yeah, that that's fair. I, I had a B minus as well, and it's volume related. It's just production. They they have been productive with the carries they've gotten to, uh, for the most part, but there just hasn't been enough production for me to say, hey, these guys are an A. Talent-wise, probably, but we haven't seen it, and who knows if we will. Okay. Moving on to wide receiver, I'll give them an A. If only because they have given me no reason not to. You know what I mean? We know that Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best wide receiver in college football, possibly the universe, and Emeka Ibuka has been really good when called upon. I'd like to see Julian Fleming and or Xavier Johnson a little more involved because I think they can do things in space with the ball in their hands, but it is what it is. This group's production grade probably isn't an A compared to what we're used to, but they're awesome. We know they're awesome, and they've been great when called upon, so they get like a default A for me. They get a C for me. Whoa! They're they're graded on a curve, and their curve is really high. Expectations are high out of this group, and save for uh, one game that Marvin Harrison had out of this world, they've been productive, but they have not been crazy good, And, and they just haven't. Marvin has had two stinker games, and I get it. It's probably game plan. The first one was definitely some quarterback problems. But when you're talked about as being a top two pick in the NFL, you don't have 38-yard games. So for them to not have the production that we thought they had is uh, they get they get dinged for it. Uh, and, and Abuka, I still think you can't convince me that he hasn't lost a half a step because of uh, a Mecca Biceps being his new nickname. Uh, Xavier Johnson getting one catch uh it feels like for the entire season is ho-hum uh julian fleming making one catch a game save for the indiana game where he went seven catches for like nine yards same thing and uh the freshmen really haven't done anything uh jalen battlerd uh i'm not even sure that he puts on a uniform at this point So it's a C because they were supposed to be the best unit on the best team and they just have not been that up to date. So I'm like the the gym teacher. I'm just going to give them the A grade because I've watched them play dodgeball and when it's competitive, they're awesome. I think you're the professor that you're grading on a curve and you're throwing out like the standard deviation. 
you're or you're not throwing it out like you're keeping the kid that got the hundred and the kid that got the four and so now everyone's sort of lumped in the middle because of the the crazy outlier so you are definitely the tougher grader maybe we'll agree on the next one wait 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 till these next couple well i don't know we'll see we'll see next up is tight end i've got a solid b nothing more nothing less because Kate Stover is ahead of last year's pace in both receptions and receiving yards. He can set records. Like, he's yet to score. I get that. He's not the strongest blocker in the world. So, B is the grade. And for what it's worth, I like what G. Scott Jr. theoretically brings to the table. I'd like to see more of him. But I still think there it's a B. That's fair. I was with a B plus until the one snap that Joe Royer... Uh, had this weekend, and he ended up completely on his back, and that knocked him down to a B. Uh, Stover is – I think that's the challenge, is nobody in this tight end room really is a blocker that can just handle business. None of these guys, to take uh, to take your phrase, none of these guys are throwing anybody out of the club. And not that you need that every play, but you kind of need it sometimes, and – I don't I don't know that they have that in them. Thus why you've seen Luke Montgomery play some like sixth sixth linemen in certain scenarios because they don't trust their tight ends. And even Cade Curry coming in to play fullback, that's not something you typically see. And that's right. Absolutely. that's to uh, supplement the blocking for sure. So that brings us to offensive line. I guess I will give them a C. And I know you want to go lower. I was tempted to. For me, they get an A- minus or an A in pass blocking. But an F in run blocking, which averages out to like a 73%. It's not a high C. It's not a borderline C+. This is barely a C. Look, it's a position group in a situation that Ohio State has to get figured out. The Buckeyes suck in short yardage. And Josh Jimmy Simmons is penalized far too often. And honestly, like I'm not entirely convinced that the pass pro is great just because Notre Dame's defensive line is nothing special when it comes to getting after the opposing quarterback, right? But Penn State's might be. So you talk about like Chop Robinson and the other kid on the other side for Penn State. I think pass pro has been really good, but... If Ohio State struggles on offense, it is likely going to be because the O-line did or does not make serious progress. There's no way this team, this unit can get a passing grade with the way they've played on and run blocking. It, it is atrocious. This is the worst run blocking team or worst run blocking unit I think I've seen watching Ohio State. They're awful. I mean, you are literally only doing what you do in the run game because you have dynamic running backs. Like Travion Henderson is a dynamic running back and he is running for his life on almost every play. Like the one play he didn't run for his life for on Saturday, he went for 60. Yep. Every other play he was, he had somebody chasing his ass and there were multiple times he caught the ball and had to make a move immediately. They're, awful in run blocking and they're okay in pass pro but they're not they're not great part of it is they haven't faced anybody like we talk about it how much have we talked about uh 
Javante Jean Baptiste and how mediocre he is. And well, that's what they played this weekend. And guess what? He was really disruptive. Uh, of, he had the game of his life against this offensive line is all you need to know about what this offensive line does. The only thing that keeps them from having a failing grade is I don't feel like you can have a failing grade on a team that's 4-0 and top five in the country. Yeah, I mean, I think we're pretty much in agreement there. <clears throat> it, it'll start to become interesting, but I, I just don't know when because I'm not – we'll talk about Maryland. I'm not overly fearful of what they do as far as a pass rush goes. I know their defense has gotten better, but um, we'll see. And let's just stick with disappointing units. Don't make a joke. Defensive line is up next. We're flipping to the other side of the ball. I'm going to hand out another C. Ohio State has been really good against the run. Saturday's second half notwithstanding. I chalk that up to fatigue and Notre Dame having some real monsters on the other side, frankly. Michael Jr. and Tyleek Williams have both stood out on occasion. But let's be honest, the pass rush sucks. You want to talk about run blocking. I want to talk more about pass rush. Blame it on teams getting the ball out quickly or going against Joe All. Whatever you want to do, the Buckeyes don't get pressure. Their defensive end, ends have zero sacks. And this is another issue that can spell trouble down the road. I'm holding out hope that the talent that we think they have prevails but I'm growing less and less confident with each passing week in this Ohio State pass rush. Yeah, I'm a CC minus, and the pass rush is just it's a it's it's abysmal. And the the response I would give to anybody that says, "Oh, everybody's getting the ball out quick," is guess what? They got it out quick when Chase Young was here. They got it out quick when Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, like these aren't these guys weren't here 25 years ago. They were here in the spread. Uh, running gun era of college football. Like, give me a break. For them to be four games in and have zero, and I, I get it. We talked about how being like that pin your ears back pass rusher might not be what these guys are, and it's obvious they aren't. But you accidentally knock a quarterback down once every four games. I mean, look at the Bengals game last night. You literally had a swarm in front of that quarterback and Stafford is not slow to get rid of the ball, but no. they have pass rushers that get after the quarterback. Trey Hendrickson was on the quarterback in under two seconds, a half a dozen times last night. And you just can't tell me that that. So it's, it's possible. Like you don't need five seconds to get to the quarterback and you don't, I get it. You're not going to get there in two seconds, every single snap, but occasionally you are, you're actually going to hit the quarterback. When was the last time either of these guys actually knocked the quarterback down? Like, it's not even that they're not getting sacks. They're not even getting to them. And I get it. PFF has uh, a hurry's grade, uh, hurry my ass. Like, that's nothing to somebody that's an experienced quarterback. And guess what you've got coming up? You've got Tonga Bailoa. You've got uh, McCarthy. You've got these guys, uh, Mordecai. These guys are experienced. They're not worried about a hurry. They need to get put on their butt in order for them to start panicking. And it's, it's just not good enough. I agree wholeheartedly. I really have no argument against that. 
And for me, it's about one-on-ones. Like Jim Knowles could probably send the house and create pressure more often than he does, but quite the opposite is working right now. You know, they blitz once in a while, but not in great volume, and, and it's working. So, yeah, at some point, these defensive ends have to win one-on-one matchups. That's what a Trey Hendrickson did last night. That's what, and I'm not saying every guy needs to be this, but like, Miles Garrett is unstoppable with two, three, four guys, whatever. TJ Watt is unstoppable no matter what you do. If you are a or going to be a great defensive end, that's what they do. If you can achieve that 10% of the time, then then you'd get to the quarterback more than Ohio State is doing. So we're in agreement there. Linebacker is up next. I'm going to go with a solid B. I was tempted to go lower, but I love Tommy. I love Steele. I think that they are the two leaders of this defense. They lead the team in tackles, plus Tommy has a sack, while Steele Chambers has an interception. But I would like to see a bit more, and neither graded out well against Notre Dame. I didn't necessarily notice that Tommy Eichenberg played maybe as poorly as he did or as below average as he did. But you and I talked about it with Steel Chambers. He was not on top of his game. He was getting lost in the scrum. He was picking the wrong gaps, just wasn't making the plays in the run game that we expect him to make. Also, stop putting Cody Simon on the field. If there is even a chance that the opposing team will throw the ball. I want to see C.J. Hicks on the field. I've had enough of Cody Simon. Hicks can't be that bad, so get rid of him completely. I'll still give him a B. Yeah, you could have made an argument that they were an A prior to this past week, but I agree with you. I noticed Steel Chambers, and we talked about that uh, Sunday. We noticed Chambers was out of out of position a ton, and we may not have not noticed it with Eichenberg, but the one thing that when you said that, it kind of dawned on me, Lathan Ransom having 12 tackles probably proved that Tommy Eichenberg didn't have a great game because those should those really should have been linebacker tackles because they were all run plays that he made those tackles on. So that probably pushes them down into that B range for me too. I'm with you. Get Hicks on the field. I get it. I, and I love that Jim Knowles actually went to three linebackers and said, hey, this is the game we need three linebackers. Uh, Cody Simons is a great kid and Cody Simon is a great kid. Uh, I actually think he might have a chance to be an NFL player, like a special teams guy. Uh, but I'm done seeing him cover anybody in anything more than a quarter of an inch of space, anything above a quarter of an inch. I want somebody else chasing them down. And that's what it is for me. It's coverage. And the fact that he may not may not always be, willing, able, whatever, to sort of figure out or diagnose the difference. If we were talking about 1995, I would say Cody Simon is a great first and second down linebacker, or I think that he could be. The coverage skills just aren't in his bag. So I'd like to see a better athlete out there. As for Steel Chambers, I think that he'll bounce back. So I'm okay with the B that I gave them. Last sort of large position group or unit that we're going to look at here, the defensive backs. I give them an A+. I think that they have been that 
good, especially if I am taking into account what the secondary has been or done for the past few years. Denzel Burke looks like a potential All-American. Davison Igbenosin and Jordan Hancock have provided great depth and versatility. Lathan Ransom has been Lathan Ransom, right? And right now, Josh Proctor is arguably the most improved player on the roster. And add in the freak that is Sonny Styles. I think the secondary has been the group MVP. I, I really don't even know that it's a question or a debate or an argument. They're still going to face teams that like to chuck it. And we'll see if our confidence is warranted. But I feel really good about what we've seen. So I'm sticking with an A+. I really, truly mean that I think that they've been fantastic. Damn you for stealing my grade on this one. This is what I had to... I would also like to add to that, I want to give Jim Knowles an A-plus for his flexibility in the back end. For him to kind of switch back and forth between Sonny Styles being in the nickel, between uh, Jordan Hancock, he kind of, when Proctor was out, uh, they gave Hartford a chance, and then all of a sudden, hey, this isn't working, Carter's got to come in. Uh, they brought in Simon. Like I know we didn't want him to be the guy, but they brought in a third linebacker. So the the flexibility he has shown in these five spots gets an A plus for me as well. But it this was the weak point of the team last year. The big plays are what haunted them in the two losses last year. And right now they haven't given up a single play that you would say, oh yeah, that is what it looked like last year. Yeah, they really haven't. I can maybe point to the Cam Martinez play when he was in earlier just because Oh, he's... yeah, I, didn't, I forgot about that. And guess what? Uh, well, he is banged up, but there's no chance he would have saw the field this past weekend. Absolutely not. And you gave credit to Jim Knowles. I think he is deserving, as are Tim Walton and Perry Eliano. You know, I'm sure that they are involved in the brain trust as the – secondary coaches so kudos to all of those men because they're getting it done and I can't say that they've really saved Ohio State in 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 any of these games but maybe they have you know if Notre Dame got last year secondary Sam Hartman may have been like hey we're gonna sling it all over the place they may have changed up that game plan a little bit so great job by those guys special teams last group that we're going to talk about here I give them a C they haven't missed a kick and Jesse Mirko it is Mirko not Micro I think that was Todd Blackledge couldn't figure it out not Jesse Micro it's Jesse Mirko has been he's been fine punting the ball but the return game sucks and that squib out of bounds Saturday night that one kick knocked them down from a C plus to a C. I took away a half a letter grade because that was dumbfounding. That was idiotic. That was inexcusable. So the special teams is right in the middle. I give them a C. That was a fireable offense in my mind. Like it, <laughs> it's so inexplicable that you don't do like that. When you're a shit unit, you can't get cute. And that the, the, I, I guess the coverage units have been okay. But yeah. they also haven't. I mean, in the in the in college, there's not just that many to have. 
But the return units have stunk. The, I feel like the return units have stunk for five years. It's like you, I don't even wait for the timeout. I just wait for as soon as the the actual special teams unit comes on the field. That's when I go get my beer and go take a leak. So I, I I'm I'm like a C C minus just because they haven't missed any kicks. And early in the season when the offense was struggling, you thought Jaden Fielding might be their best weapon. Credit to him, man. Four for four. You watch a bunch of other college kickers, and they're they're incredibly hit or miss. So we do have to take solace in that. But that's going to wrap up the position grades. Honestly, I think we agreed or were close in agreement on a lot of these, with the exception of probably wide receiver. But I get your reasoning for that. They have not taken over and dominated this season the way that we'd maybe like them to. Not going to change my mind. But I will acknowledge that you gave them a C, and I, I understand why. The last, and that brings us to the last sort of segment, the thing that we wanted to get to. I'm calling it second half breakouts. It's more like second two thirds breakouts, whatever it is. Chuck and I are going to just give a couple of our breakout candidates post buy. And. Uh, I didn't give Chuck any rules. He didn't give any to me. We're not in a box. Like they had, we don't have to pick a player who hasn't been on the field at all. We can pick somebody who has started every game. You just think they're going to take a step. So we'll go through these quickly. A, a handful of potential breakouts post by. We've gone back and forth. Chuck, you are up first. Give me. Your again, air quotes. One of your second half breakouts for Ohio State. Uh, this is a Sunny Styles Stan podcast. I'm going to stick with it. I've been uh, by this young man's side since he joined the team, and I am uh, in full belief that these next eight games are his coming out, true coming out party. His read and reaction on that fourth down play, uh, he was twice as far. And I'm not saying Lathan Ransom made a he, – he was there. But Styles was twice as far away from that running back as Ransom was. And he was twice as quick to get to him. And he's actually the one that delivered that blow. So that – I expect to see plenty more of that for going forward. I think this buy will be good for him. It can kind of uh, – they can kind of get him rolling in a way that he explodes these next eight games. Do you think he just sees the field a little bit more, even more so than he already has? Because he plays quite a bit. I don't think Ohio State's really going to go up against that Western Kentucky level team, which is when he was pulled off the field. Do you think that he is out there, I don't know, 75% of the time or better? Yeah, if you look at, I mean, you look at their schedule, these teams aren't spread them out type teams. I mean, you could argue maybe Maryland. So this first game might be the one he plays the least in. But even though they're explosive, like Wisconsin's still not going four and five wide. I shouldn't say explosive. They have the potential to be explosive. Same thing with Penn State. Like these explode, potential explosive offenses aren't four and five wide. So yeah, I think he ends up playing more. Hancock probably is going to lose some playing time simply because they don't have that need. Yeah, I think that's fair. So for my first breakout candidate, 
I'm going to go with Kenyatta Jackson. This guy dominated team practices and scrimmages throughout the preseason, performed well in the spring game, and all of that eventually led to him seeing some snaps early on. However, he was a ghost against Notre Dame, probably because Ohio State wanted to shore up their run fits, but the Buckeyes need a pass rush, and JT and Sawyer aren't providing one. I think we see Jackson get more and more reps as the season progresses. I also think that he will eventually provide a spark when he does see the field. I hope you're tr- I hope you're right. I hope that this is a scenario where they recognize some deficiencies and give some guys some chances because he would be number 1 on the list of somebody who needs to get some reps to see what he can do in live action. Absolutely. Chug, give me your second one if you've got one. I think, uh, and I don't have anything based on this, and unfortunately part of it is just based on somebody's history. I think Jihad Carter has a breakout potential. I know Josh Proctor's played well, but he has also not stayed healthy for a long time. And I'm not convinced that he can stay healthy. And if he doesn't, I do think this is Carter's would be Carter's opportunity. I think they showed um, when Hartford got the quick hook that they wanted to give him the shot because he probably played well in practice, but the games looked a little too big for him. So I think in a scenario where Proctor can't hold up physically, Carter's that guy that holds up the back end of this defense. I'm sort of dumbfounded by the Jihad Carter usage or lack thereof. They prioritize this guy in the transfer portal, and he played a bunch of games. He didn't play at Syracuse A&M Valley Tech. Like, he played at Syracuse in the ACC against your Clemsons, your North Carolinas, your things like that, and he performed pretty well. So the fact that he is sort of... I don't even know if he is in the doghouse, but he's certainly chained to the bench for whatever reason. I hope we see him out there. I don't hope it's due to injury, but I think that's a good sleeper pick by you just based on what we've seen in the past. My next breakout, not really a sleeper pick. I'm not breaking sacred ground with this prediction, but I've got CJ Hicks. I just think he's special. I don't have a whole lot of proof to give you right now that that is the case, but we've talked about Cody Simon. He's pretty one-dimensional. We saw Steel Chambers struggle against Notre Dame. Not to say C.J. Hicks will or won't have growing pains. This is an upside pick because I think Hicks has the highest, and like Carter, like... I'm just surprised. There's no way that Hicks isn't good enough to see the field. I'm frankly shocked that he has not seen the field more often. I don't get it, and I just hope we see him as the season goes on. It sure seems like the what they're doing would tell you that your hope is not going to come true. And I don't <laughs> I don't it just doesn't seem for whatever reason, maybe if you're playing a passing team and I, I I would be interested to see you're playing a normal Jim Knowles defense with just two linebackers on the field, and one of them gets hurt. Say it's somebody who passes a lot. Say it's Penn State. They're slinging it around everywhere, and Tommy Eichenberg gets banged up. Is it Hicks or is it Simon that come in? 
So I'll be interested to see if something like that happens, but I am definitely not holding my breath. Unfortunately, I don't think it's a great idea. Chuck, do you have another breakout candidate? Because I only have one more. So do you want to flip it over to me? It's all you. I got nobody. All right. So the last name I came up with is one that we are all pretty familiar with. I am just not convinced that Mayan Williams is going to soak up garbage snaps all season. Chop had 125 rushing yards and 14 touchdowns last year on 6.4 yards per carry. His legs work. He has at least looked healthy when he's out there. He appears to be in decent shape. I mean, we're talking about Ohio State's best running back last year by a mile. And now he's a distant third on the depth chart. I hope it's not due to some injury. But I think that we will see Williams make an impact at some point or multiple points later in the year. Yeah, I don't even know what to say about Mayan because it was such it's such a bizarre scenario that he's just never seeing the field. Like he's getting no kind of burn. He got one carry, got stuffed, and they said, ah, go ahead and take your cleats off. We don't even need you to be ready to play. So I, I don't even know what to say about that one. It's unfortunate because he could have been a late round pick last year and gotten the the clock started as a running back. And now he's got to look at, does he have any more eligibility or is he just going to go try to be a, a undrafted free agent and hook on with somebody? It's crazy. I think he does have another year of eligibility if he chooses to use it. I don't know why I questioned it. Everybody has another year of eligibility. And what's funny is I, I don't remember where I heard it. I don't know if it was a reputable source or not. If it was, I would love to give them credit. I just don't remember. But I think there has been talk, right? I heard that there has been talk of that being the plan with Dallin Hayden. They're just going to redshirt him. You know, he got thrown into the fire last year when he probably otherwise wouldn't have. And so now this is his sort of recalibration year. Again, I've only heard that on, you know, the old interwebs or the radio podcast, whatever. It, we could see Mayan Williams and Dallin Hayden next year with Evan Pryor. And be like, hey, do you remember all three of these guys? They used to play here. They went away for a while. And now we're three deep again. Who knows? Hey, here's the thing with that, though. With the transfer portal, I can tell you this right now. If all three of those are playing college football next year, two of them are not playing for Ohio State. It's just not happening. Not with they got two freshmen coming in. Two of them will leave. I would agree with you that one of them definitely will. I If Chip Trainum's gone, which I believe that he is, I could see all three coming back. Um but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. They wouldn't risk it. After not getting any carries this year, they're not going to risk it. Go so go to uh go to uh Maryland and get 15 carries a game because and you're still playing the same competition. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, for us, you know, I hope it doesn't happen, but that's a fair point. But um that's going to do it for our breakouts and Chuck, I partner, I think that's going to do it for the pod. I think Without having a game preview, I'm proud of us. I think we soldiered on. I think we came up with some good content, more so me. But And we didn't have a, a, a big fight 
we agreed on most of this stuff. So I think that's good progress during a bye week. Would you agree? You keep saying you won, and that video is getting posted. Just FYI. See, then you have to go, and you just got to start shit like you always do. But that is going to do it for us. Um, Chuck and I thank you guys for listening to this episode and every other episode that you do catch. Please interact with us on social media. Send us some emails if you like. We put that on. We put that up on Twitter. We put that on some past podcast posts. Say that three times fast. Thank you. Um, we just want to hear from you guys, and we appreciate you all. We appreciate the listens and the interaction. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. And as we always close it here, go Bucks.